Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. You are about to listen to an original episode of Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of upcoming shows, which will be available for download every Monday, or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com. After you finish the podcast, please take a moment to subscribe to it, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it sucks. Thank you for your support, and enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. I am broadcasting, if you can call it that, from the 24th floor of my office overlooking the city. The difference tonight is that it is not tonight. It is the wee hours of the morning. I believe it's 4.15 in the morning on Saturday before New Year's Eve 2014. And if you're wondering why I am in my office at 4.15 on a Saturday morning talking to you on this podcast of Industry Standard, it's because I realize that I have to work extraordinarily hard during extraordinarily bizarre hours to deliver this show to you because what happens is I work really, really hard as a manager and as a executive producer and producer on film and television projects and as a consultant and And I also work really, really hard to be the best father to my two boys I can possibly be. And today I will be taking them on a cruise, their first cruise ever, 
and I realized that the only way that I'm going to be the best representation of myself for this show is to do the things that I need to do in the hours that I would normally be sleeping. So I set my alarm for three o'clock in the morning after working all day yesterday to try to put this together for you in a way that I believe it will be the most helpful for you. And before I get started on my cold open and let you know why this show will be a little different and a little more special, I just want to let you guys know that, and, and girls, that I look at this show and there's been over 75 episodes, including this one, and about a year and a half. And it's overwhelming to, to think that I've sat on this couch and, and interviewed some of the people that I have met with over the past and some I haven't who are in a position of power in the entertainment business that I only thought that I and a select few would be able to hear what they had to say. And the vision of this podcast was to be in a position where I could bring you the kind of insight into the world and how it works, the ups and downs and the journey from the voices and point of views of these extraordinary people. And I love this show. I love doing it. I love sitting across from these people. It almost feels like when you're in a relationship with somebody who moves you and somebody who there's just something about them that captivates you. And when you're with them, time just stands still. And there's no pressure, no stress. There's nothing standing in your way of something really, really special. And I cherish every single one of these podcasts. I really, really do. And I will continue to work as hard as I can to make sure you get the best guests and the people who rarely speak in this kind of format. And I will continue to give you as much of that content as I possibly can because I am very, very grateful for everything that all of you have done in terms of supporting me and writing emails and letters and sending me FedExes and just messages on Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook. It's just been so overwhelming. And I, I am so, so thankful to each and every one of you that listen. And I just want to wish you guys 
of the best holiday ever and the best new year. And as I sit here on this couch alone, talking into the microphone, I thought that I would share with you something special about what I'm about to do today because one of the most popular episodes that I ever did was a episode recapping my first year doing the podcast, which was actually only six months because I started in July. And in that episode, I, I recapped what I felt were the highlights of what each particular person had to offer in terms of career advice and personal advice of how to get to the next level and what it took for them and what they'd have observed throughout their life of what it took for other people to get there. And so what I decided to do during this holiday season was I decided to be in a situation where I shared with you the best of 2014 in two separate parts. And today I'm going to share with you the first part of that 25 different guests and their words of wisdom for what they feel it will take for you to be who you need to be and where you need to be and what you need to do to take things to the next level and not be in the situation where you take yourself down, but you take yourself up. And as I sit on this couch, I normally look across from my guest to talk about a story that's a six degrees of separation for the show, but I can't do that because I don't have a guest. But what I'm doing is looking in the reflection, the mirror of myself and a vision is coming to me and it's a vision of me many many years ago when I was 16 years old and the only media that I had in my life at that time was an AM radio and what I recall is that I heard an advertisement for a concert that was coming to my area in western Massachusetts. I grew up in a town called Longmeadow, and the town next door to me was Springfield, Massachusetts, where the Basketball Hall of Fame is, and underneath me was the Connecticut line. And I felt I was in the middle of nowhere, but when I heard the ad, I knew that I wanted to take action. And the ad said that Elvis Presley was coming to the Springfield Civic Center in July, a day after my 17th birthday. And for the past four years, I had been inspired by Elvis Presley because I had read about something that he did that he had done a concert in Hawaii that was airing in like 40 different countries 
all across the world. But it didn't air in our country at the time. And I remember this wondering, when is it going to air in our country? And the explanation that I remember is that he actually planned his concert that was supposed to be broadcast live all over the world on the day of the Super Bowl. And football being king, even back then, it wasn't anywhere near as big as it is now. Whoever planned this concert thought that he was so big that he could go up against the Super Bowl. And he was big. And he broadcast everywhere else in the world, but not in the United States. And they held it back, I think, for another four or five months. But I remember in the spring of 1973 watching that concert on television and being blown away of how a performer could hold an audience like that and the content of the work that he did and the words and how it moved people. And I knew at that time I wanted to be a part of something that could reach people and move people, but I, I didn't know what it would be or how it could be or how I'd be involved in it. Turns out it was a different lane. Turns out I ended up being in a position where I could work with my talent and other people's talents to where they could reach millions of people and inspire millions of people. But whatever it was, that was one of the big days that changed my life. And being in Springfield, Massachusetts, there wasn't a big market to see big-name performers. And when that was announced and the tickets were going on sale, I knew what I had to do. The problem was, back then... No internet, no ticket offices. The only way to get tickets for anything was to go to the box office at the venue where something was playing. And the advertisement said that Elvis was going on sale at 8 o'clock in the morning. And I knew what I had to do. And as I sit here at 4.30 in the morning, I realize what I had to do to get Elvis Presley tickets. And that was to get up at 4.30 in the morning and get myself down to Springfield Civic Center so I could be the first in line to get my ticket to see Elvis Presley. And so I got there. And wouldn't you know, there were a lot of people who had the same idea I had. There were a lot of people who got up earlier than I did. And even though I got there at about 4.45 in the morning, there was a line around the block probably over a half a mile long. But I got in line and I waited 
problem was I was also working hard and burning the candle at both ends when I was in high school because I wanted to make as much as money as possible and be able to control my destiny. And I was an entrepreneur and I would do different jobs for different people in town. And one of my jobs, believe it or not, I was a cat sitter at these people's houses. And this particular couple, the Cohen family, had a cat <laughs> named Fluffy that ate steaks and chicken and fillets of fish that were all pre-made and wrapped in this special refrigerator. And it was my job to feed the Fluffy in the morning, at noon, and at night and live in the house. And so when I was in high school, I was actually living in a beautiful, beautiful, gorgeous, huge house for these people as they were out of town doing business. Imagine that, having your own home as a teenager and living an independent life from your parents between the ages of 15 and 17. It was incredible. But true to form, as Elvis Presley's concert on the Super Bowl, tickets went on sale the day that these people were coming home from a three-month trip. But I figured if I got up early enough, I got down there, I could get my tickets, I could get back, clean up the house, get everything ready leave them a nice note, be there when they got back if I needed to be. So I fed Fluffy in the morning, went down there, started waiting in line. And guess what, everybody? The line did not move quickly. And the line around the block, I guess, was more than a half a mile long. My guess is it probably was a mile or more. Thousands of people. And back then, they didn't have computers to process things. Everything was by hand. And I waited, and I waited, and I waited. And the morning turned to noon. The noontime hour turned to dinner time. And I couldn't leave because I knew if I left, I would risk losing those tickets. And dinner time turned to evening. And when I finally got to the ticket booth. It was almost midnight, but I didn't have a cell phone. I didn't have the opportunity to leave the line. I didn't know anybody, and I didn't want to trust it. So I did something against my better judgment after waiting for 16 hours or more because I knew they were getting home later that night, and I just wrote it out. And I did it. And I'm not proud of it. Because the people that I was taking care of their cat were very upset at me. And even though I tried the best I could to clean it up, I don't know if I was ever as close to them as I was before. And I don't know if they ever trusted me as much as they trusted me before. But in the end, I knew that I didn't do anything 
that was damaging to their cat because I put out a lot of food. I knew in the end I was a neat guy and the house really wasn't that unkempt. But what I did know was I wasn't there when they thought I was there. That creates doubt. And if somebody's not there one time, you wonder if they weren't there another time. And, but I, I also knew that I had to do something around my passion. And I got my ticket to Elvis Presley, and I saw a concert that was one of the greatest concerts that I could ever imagine with an artist that I perceived to be on the top of his game. But like all things, they're not exactly as they seem. What I was seeing was a guy who was a shell of himself, but I didn't know it. A guy who was struggling with drugs and alcohol. And an artist that was one of the greatest artists of my generation, who only a year later died at 42. So for me, there's a lot of lessons here. So the message here is I sit here in the dark, looking out on Los Angeles in the wee hours in the morning on the weekend before I head out on a cruise with my two boys. I think it's clear. In order to get where you need to go, sometimes you got to wake up earlier, work harder, Do things smarter. Be a little more innovative. And if you get to do all these things, which are stressful and take up a lot of the time that you might spend sleeping or partying, I can guarantee you that you will put yourself in a position to not only win in your professional life, but win in your personal life, where you can become a better friend, a better husband or wife, a better son or daughter. And for me, and I know most of you, either in the present or in the future, to be a better parent to your kids. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, 
one-on-one coaching with me and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Here we go in three, two. We ain't one at a time in here. We're mass communicating. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. Infections caused by jacuzzi water. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. Okay, here we go. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Out of the air! People on Twitter have been asking for Barry Katz to come back a lot. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. Here we go. You fucking firing me up, Katz. Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Undeniable. Creating holy shit moments. I love this man. Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. Welcome back to another industry standard episode. This is the best of 2014 part one. You're going to really, really enjoy this. And I hope you enjoy it as much as I did and I do. And these interviews that I've had. And so what you're about to hear is the advice, the words of wisdom from 25 of the most special and really, really prolific, unique executives and artists who work in front of and behind the scenes with some of the most incredible content and entertainment that's been put forth in the past, in the present, and what we'll see in the future. So without further ado, the first person that you're about to hear from is Jason Goldberg, who is a friend of mine who is best known as the co-creator of the groundbreaking hit show Punked. And this is a guy who's been pushing the boundaries of traditional content creation for over 20 years in film, TV, and in the digital world. And when he speaks, I listen. Here's Jason. It's a different time right now, so you actually have... You have the ability to put your work up on a platform like YouTube or Facebook, uh, and you know you can literally you can you can send a tweet of a video down to someone that's going to actually watch it, and if it's really good, they could blast it out for you. So it's a little bit easier, I actually think now, uh, for some of those people if they're truly if they have true raw talent. Um, so back then, when we first started in this, and you too. There, there was, there was, there, there was complete gatekeepers. It was a one to all communication, not one to one, and not one. To, it was there were commercials and there was programming, and if you had to get through the door, you had to really get through physically this door. But you could actually do it at home now, and you can blast it through. And if it's damn good, trust me, someone will find it and they'll blast it out for you. So that's one. 
That's what I'd say on that side. The other one to be on the, on the executive front is I really believe that it comes down to you, you have to really want it. I know this seems corny, but I was talking about punk and I could tell you, I, I still love to do these things and I'm a, uh, you know, I'm an older guy now, but <laughs> the thing is, is, uh, I, it does start with a great passion. You have to understand who, um, who I would call the forefathers of the game are. Don't walk into it and be naive. Know how the industry has gotten here. Know who these people are. Have respect and admiration. Always good to have goals. So who do you want to be? And I always look at it that way. Who do you want to be? If you could be anyone and you could mirror anyone, if you could spend six months of your life trailing and with someone, who would that be? Have a really good, clear idea of who that would be. And that, that, that's really the, you know, that's the trajectory to take. You have to have will, compassion, tenacity. You've got to have a killer instinct on top of that. You've got to have respect. Next up on the best of 2014 part one episode is a guy who I never met personally. And his episode was really, really heartfelt and had a lot of emotion to it and I'm talking about Ali Leroy who uh, if you don't know him he's an Emmy award winning television executive producer director and writer also an actor and podcaster with Owen Smith but he's best known as the creator and executive producer of the critically acclaimed sitcom Everybody Hates Chris alongside his partner in crime on the show, Chris Rock. I know you're going to like what he has to say. Allie Leroy. Life can be long. You can stay healthy and, you know, and you can come back after 20 years. You have to respect the the craft. You know, respect the craft. You know, you, you do have to, you do have to work hard. You do have to be informed. You know, I mean, I'm sitting here talking to you about Mac Davis and Sonny and Cher and, you know, and Norm Crosby and all these sorts of things that I was, you know, exposed to that, that create, you know, the ability to, you know, to function in this landscape. You know, you have to be open. You can't shut down. You can't uh, think that it is beneath you to know certain things. You can't think that it is necessarily beneath you to do certain things. If you think it is, then you need to know why you think it is. So there's, 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 you know, you can always learn, you know, there's always something that you can find out from somebody. Uh, you do have to confront your fears. And sometimes, sometimes the fear is the fear of appearing ignorant. You know, sometimes, you know, in the name of trying not to seem like you don't know shit, you start saying stupid shit and everybody can tell that you don't know shit. Sometimes it doesn't hurt to go, you know, I don't get that. Can you explain that to me? Or I've never heard of that. Or really is that, you know, so, I mean, there, there's a certain openness, you know, Fearlessness does not always present itself as bravado, right? So, you know, to be fearless and to be uh, open and vulnerable and available to learn and experience and do and grow is probably the thing that'll turn you into a much greater artist, executive or anything else than coming into the door feeling like you got to prove to everybody that you know what the fuck you're doing when you don't. Because the cats who do know what they're doing look at you and go, that motherfucker don't know what the fuck he's doing. <laughs> you ain't fooling nobody. You're not fooling nobody, man. I've seen a zillion stand ups. 
you know, you can come out here and fuck that stool all day long. You got <laughs> one joke. <laughs> they're buying it, but they're buying it because they wa- they weren't here last week. You're doing the same damn act that all the rest of these guys are doing. The fuck are you doing, man? You know, now you can walk around, pump your chest and tell me about how you killed last week. Yeah, you're going to be right here killing it in another five years. And then people going to get sick of this shit. And a guy five years younger than you is going to steal your act. He's going to start doing that shit. And you're going to be at the crib, <laughs> you know, an executive. You know, if 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 you think for some reason that you don't have um, you don't have to be bothered with reading the whole script or you can't take the time to watch a show. You're so fucking busy <laughs> that you can't care to know who the people who it's like, really, man, <laughs> guess what? The The limits of your knowledge are going to be the limits of your experience. My next guest was the first entertainment attorney that ever sat down with me. And I found it was very difficult to get attorneys to sit down with me because I guess they're worried about what they say being difficult and that they could get in trouble revealing confidentiality issues. But my next guest was a guy who really wanted to do the show and really wanted to be in a position to help people. And so he called his top four clients and asked them if he could go on and tell certain stories. And all four of them agreed. And uh, it meant a lot to me and it meant a lot to the audience because they saw a side of the business that they never saw before. Jonathan Moonves, my guest, is one of the most highly respected entertainment attorneys in the world. He is best known in the industry and among his peers as being highly regarded for negotiating the largest deal ever for a television actor. Ray Romano, and everybody loves Raymond, putting together what became the highest grossing independent English language film of all time for Nia Vardalis and My Big Fat Greek Wedding. And he negotiated the highest television writer-producer deal in history of television with Mark Cherry and Desperate Housewives. You're going to like what he has to say. Jonathan Moonves. It starts with uh, relationships, figuring out people that you like, that you work with. Um, You know, when I went up to the Montreal Comedy Festival or the Aspen Comedy Festival, uh, when I was a young lawyer, it was about finding, everybody's up there trying to find the next great talent. Um, And what my philosophy was, let me find the few representatives that I thought would be great to work with as part of a team and create those bonds and relationships and let them work with great talent and work with me and develop artists together. And, you know, each year there'd be a new crop of talent up there, but it was the same representatives and those uh, bonds and working relationships resulted in um, not only good referrals, but really great working together on behalf of somebody. To, and that's, that's what uh, was um, a big part of my success, I think. So I would recommend, it's not about just chasing all the talent, but find people whose uh, taste you respect, um, whose uh, work you, you know, admire and, and 
work with them and get a trust between you and a shorthand between you and uh, do that kind of thing. For talent, um, it's about, uh, like you said earlier, make sure you're always working towards you know, outlets that you can control before somebody else is going to give you control. That's the great thing about, you know, the changing landscape. Now, everybody has worldwide distribution for anything they want to do. Getting people to notice it is a second step, but you have distribution. Go out there, write a screenplay, do some YouTube, do some vines and make them special and unique. And, um, you know, do that, uh, do enough to get noticed by some people. And then there are reps out there that are open to finding people with a, you know, unique voice. You know, there's an old joke about agents are better at recognizing success than talent, but that's not true. There's a lot of agents out there. There's a lot of managers out there that are looking for talented people, whether they've achieved a level of success or not. Um, so work at finding platforms for your talent and then use those platforms to try and find somebody that can respond to, to your talent and go from there. My next guest, I, I, I love this guy because he just has this <laughs> infectious sort of like almost like Barnum and Bailey kind of way about him where he just will go about anything and do anything to make a sale in reality television, which is his lane, which is the only thing he really works in and that really makes him happy. And he's been known to bring marching bands, animals, popcorn machines, anything he can do to create the visual of whatever it is he's selling. And he is a true, true, amazing salesman. And I'm talking about Jeff Aploff. And Jeff is a guy, he started as a nationally touring stand-up comedian, uh, and he created, produced, and directed, and performed in the touring concert comedy series uh, called The Disciples of Comedy, with several members of Sam Kinison's Outlaws of Comedy. And they performed to sold-out theaters all across the country, but he realized that maybe this comedy thing isn't for me, and he used it as a springboard to transition into his own production company and probably best known for creating and executive producing Don't Forget the Lyrics for Fox, and uh, which has been a hit show for them and later on a huge show in syndication. I, I think you're going to really like what this guy has to say. Jeff Aploff. For young comedians, I would say be true to yourself do the material that you feel strongly about. Find an angle, a voice, find something and do the hard work. Do not shortcut in any way. It's too easy. Make a job out of it. Work every single day on honing it. Tape yourself. Do all the things that I talked about earlier that I really feel like those are the things that you do and you have to continue to take good and make it great, make great spectacular and then be able to throw spectacular away. Be able to take your opening bit and your closing 
opening bit and be able to throw that away and then make your whole act an opening and closing bit where you're like one chunk after another. It's gush. It's gush. And never, ever, ever rest on your laurels. You go up and that chunk is the greatest chunk ever. You go home and you're thinking at night, how do I make it better? How do I make it funnier? What can I do to make it more animated? How can I put a tag onto it? Get other people around you. Get other comedians to help write stuff for you. Don't think you can do it. Like have, do all those things, right? For executives trying to make it in this business, what I will tell you is this. I told you before, I've never been anything but an executive producer in this town and everybody makes their own marks. When I came to this town, everybody wanted to tell me the rules of this town. I stuck by none of them. I'm not saying that everybody can do what I did, but what I'm saying is everybody can make their own personal mark, but it really does come down to don't think there are any shortcuts. Don't think it's easy. I never look at it like that. What I did was I know what I'm very good at and I also know where my weaknesses are. And it's more important for me to understand my weaknesses than my strengths because my strengths are easy. So I surround myself with the very best people. You know, I'm a high school dropout, right? So a long time ago, my grandfather told me, he said, if you didn't go to Harvard, then surround yourself with people that did. Not meaning specifically Harvard, but if you don't know something, surround yourself with the very best people. You look at a Super Bowl team and they go to the Super Bowl because they got the best blockers and the best runners and that everybody's got a specific thing. When I go to do a show, I get the best director. I get the best producers. I don't care that everybody's better than me and that everybody has more experience than me because they're going to take me to the end zone, right? So what I would say is... Is, is surround yourself with the best people, do not shortcut, and ultimately build yourself a blueprint for your life. It's the same as you would do with a house. You say, I'm here. This is where I want to be. What are the things I need to do to get successful? You wouldn't go out and build a house and go, hey, just send some electricians in and stuff. You build an actual blueprint, right? And you do that same thing for your life and for your career. And at least you have a direction of where you're heading. And that could always change. But this way, at least you have it. And that that's the advice I would do. And I would say you should really have an understanding of what you're passionate about and what you really want to do and, and that you're heading in that direction. My next guest, Campbell McLaren is a guy I've known my whole life because, in the business at least, because he was a guy who was an owner of a comedy club that he took over, the franchise, that had a huge name at the time when I was starting in comedy, and that was Catch a Rising Star. And he also had worked at Caroline's Comedy Club and... He also was one of the first managers I ever met because when he started his career, he was managing people like Joy Behar and and uh, Larry David. But Campbell McLaren's claim to fame is that he is the creator of the UFC, its octagon concept, and also the guy who conceptually came up with the slogan, There Are No Rules. And he was the executive producer of the first 22 events, including the first groundbreaking 12 pay-per-view specials. Additionally, uh, he also created the Iron Ring, which was BET's hip-hop version of the UFC that quickly became a hit show starring rapper Ludacris, T.I. Nelly, and boxer Floyd Mayweather. Campbell is a very unique guy, great perspective, 
and I hope you enjoy his words. People want to be in business with people that are going to work hard to make the project and them six, you know, themselves a success. You know, the last thing anyone wants is this, you know, I think it's long gone, the sort of, you know, drug related, crazy out of control art. And nobody wants to be in business with that anymore. I think show business has become much more corporate, much more buttoned down, you know, big companies involved, a lot of money involved. And so I think you've really got to take what you're doing very, very seriously. You can be passionate, you can be funny, you can be entertaining, but you better be a pro and you better be ready to put in 18 hour day, you know, People outside of show business have no idea how hard so much of it is and how much work is involved and how few days off. When your stuff starts to go, you are busy 365 days, and that means Christmas. You know, so, I mean, you can't can't come out. It's like anything. Fighters train eight and ten hours a day when they don't have a fight. And when they've got a fight, they better have two six-hour training sessions and a nutritionist, and they better be focused, and they better have a game plan. That's no different for comedians. It's the same exact thing, you know? So, no, you got you to gotta work hard. And it helps to be talented, and if you're beautiful, talented, and working hard, you got a pretty good shot. My next guest, Bill Bellamy, is a comedian, executive producer, actor, and... One of the most unique voices in comedy today. I I love Bill. Bill's a guy who you could talk to any comedian in the world and they will never, ever, ever say anything bad about Bill. One of the sweetest guys in the world. Always treats everyone the way he would want to be treated. And... I have a long history with Bill, starting with his first job on MTV as a VJ, all the way through Last Comic Standing, and his two specials on Showtime that came out recently, along with his sitcom that he's on now called Mr. Box Office with Vivica Fox and Tim Meadows and John Lovitz. He's probably best known also for the movie How to Be a Player, Love Jones, The Brothers, and Any Given Sunday. But there's something about Bill being a performer as well that's that's always always a unique thing. And I think that that perspective of a of a comedian who's still out there every day doing concerts and selling out all over the country or doing military tours all over the world and also being behind the scenes and and creating and executive producing things it it adds a, a unique perspective and i really enjoyed sitting down with bill he's a really special special guy and i know you'll enjoy what he had to say First and foremost, do it for the love of what you, you your craft. Do it for the love. Don't, don't do it for money, you know. Money will come. You will eventually be paid for your gift. 
you have to love it first because the love is going to get you from the low to the high and back to the high to the low. So start with the love. Is it the passion that you have? Do you live it, breathe it? Do you dream it? Do you do do you feel like it comes out of your pores? If you have that kind of commitment to it, there's no limit to where you can go with it. The other thing is just getting you know, on stage, it doesn't matter where it is. I mean, it could be a bar, you know, it could be a car wash. It could be, you know, hosting something, whatever, because with comics, we need the stage time. You need to have a mic in your hand. You need to be talking to people. You need to be able to exchange. You can't do that just like in a cafeteria, talking to your buddies. You need to have, you know, um, the real equipment, the stage, the, the stool and the microphone and, uh, and, and the passion. My next guest, I didn't know what to expect when she came in because I never talked to her before. I never met her before, which is very rare for uh, a guest on my show. But I had heard about her and somebody introduced me to what she did and how she did it. And I thought she'd be a great guest. And she didn't disappoint me. Sarah Siegel Magnus was her name and... You might know her as the co-founder of Smokewood Entertainment with her husband, Gary. And her main credit that she's best known for is a movie that probably changed my life and one of the most powerful movies with some of the most unbelievable performances that I've seen in my entire lifetime. And I'm talking about her work as a producer of the award-winning Lionsgate film Precious, based on the novel by Sapphire. And that movie had a lot of effect on me because of the content and also because a stand-up comedian who'd been working and pounding the pavement won an Academy Award in a dramatic role. And I'm talking about Monique. So this is what Sarah had to say. Learn the craft as much as you can. I mean, if you want to be a director, you you better be going to film school. I mean, yes, I learned to be a director by doing it, but that's not the easiest way. You need to have, you know, pack yourself with the tools needed to understand the craft because um, you don't want to have to go back and learn it later. If you want to be in the film business, the business side, you know, go to business school because those same rules that apply at Microsoft apply in this business. And if you know that, you'll navigate so much better. Better. It's the it's different business, but same rules. It is about making money. But then, you know, the difference is in this business, you do have to think with your heart as well as your brain. And so sometimes things on paper don't make sense, but then end up making sense. So if you have a gut about something, you do have to go for it. You know, you have to. But try to arm yourself with um, the information, but don't ever let the information stop you from pursuing your dreams. The next people I want to share with you is the first and only duo that I've ever had on the show. Jay Blumenfield and Tony Marsh are the owners and creative forces behind the Jay and Tony Show TV production company. And you might know them because they helped create and executive produce the smash e-hit Chelsea Lately, as well as Showtime's Family Business, one of my favorite reality shows, that triggered a new genre of television. 
Uh, most recently, they created and produced many popular series, including Gigolos for Showtime, Restaurant Stakeout for the Food Network, Resort Rescue for the Travel Channel, and LOL Work for Bravo. And they also worked on a show that I spent a lot of time on for HBO, Dane Cook's Tourgasm. And one of the things about them that I think is really special is they've had a chance to work with such unique talents, like Chelsea Handler, like Seymour Butts, who was the top of his game or was at the top of his game in the porn industry, uh, like Missy Elliott. They work with Ted Nugent, Johnny Rotten, Drew Carey, Dane Cook, all these very unique artists. And it helps shape you when you're a producer. And it helps take you to a place that you've never been. And I think their insight was very valuable. So without further ado, Jay and Tony. I think one piece of advice, which you being a comedian, a manager of comedians may not agree with, but my one piece of advice would be don't be an asshole. Um, and I, I feel like the one thing when we bring people up, whether it's talent or people that are working for us at a certain point, it's about the quality of life and it's about who do you want to be around and do I want this person on my set? Do I even talent, even if the show is doing well, if the guy is just a complete asshole, you don't try as hard for, for that person on, on camera. And, and so I know that there's all these legends of these terrible human beings who are stars and you have to deal with them. Maybe it's just us, but we've gotten to the point where we just don't want to deal with that. And so my advice would be just be a good person and don't be an asshole. And if you work hard and you're talented at something, I think eventually you'll matriculate up. Like Jay said, if you work hard and you're good at what you do, you will succeed. It sounds trite, but you really will. There's a lot of very untalented people out there. There's a lot of really bad people out there. And at times it's hard to tell the difference between the good and the bad. But if you're good, you will, you will, you will succeed. I've seen it, you know, on so many levels and on the executive level, it's hard you know, because it's such a fear-based world out there, you feel like if you, you know, you say yes to the wrong thing or you, you don't give the right guidance and a show doesn't work, you're going to get fired. And maybe that is the, the world out there, but I've seen good executives succeed because they really are just good people trying their best and they're not trying too hard to impress people. My next guest, I love this guy too. Walter Newman. Walter Newman is a guy who was an assistant at Comedy Central sitting in a cubicle somewhere in relative obscurity when he was working hard one night, late, late at night, sound familiar, and discovered a sketch group called Mail Order Comedy. Put some DVDs together, passed them around the office, and the rest is history, because that show became Workaholics. And now Walter is not in the cubicle anymore. He is the director of comedy development for Adult Swim and responsible for developing and producing comedy live action series and animated programming for the network. If you're not familiar with some of the things he's been involved with, you might be living under a rock. 
because he supervises their original Adult Swim live action and animated comedies, including the Eric Andre show, the Boondocks, check it out with Steve Brule, Black Dynamite. He was also an executive producer of Cartoon Network's new sketch comedy series, The Incredible Crew, which my kids love. Please welcome Walter Newman. It's honestly a matter of not giving up for one and, 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 and just doing the work. I mean, like I said, for me, and even to this day, I, you, you try to, you try to just do as much as you can. Um, my advice, you know, I hear people sometimes are like, Oh, I'm going to try this and try this. And if it doesn't work, I'm going to move back to wherever I'm from. Like luckily one, I was from this area, but it was never, a. I've, I've thought about, I thought about leaving Comedy Central. I've thought about leaving VH1. I thought about doing this or that, but it was never a I'm not going to do something, you know, in, in entertainment or or in some field that I like. It was always, oh, I'm not going to do it here. I'm going to go do it there. So anytime someone tells me, like, really, like, oh, if this doesn't work, I'm going to have to move this or that. Like, if you're if you're able to completely say, oh, I'm going to drop this, it might you might be in the wrong spot because, at least in my experience, it was never, uh, oh, I'm going to leave the the business. It was like oh, I got to find somewhere else to get this done, or I have to find another way to get this done. What do you say? Something that's undeniable, you cannot be denied. <laughs> Is that a holy shit moment? Yeah. Like it was just like I gotta, I gotta. Uh, it's, it's great hearing it from you. You, just... you firing me up, Barry. <laughs> I, I know, I know. I listened to the podcast, man. Um, I it's just so unbelievable. What you're doing. <laughs> no, you're firing me up, cats. Is that what? Oh, it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but I think it's a matter of like really not taking like I think you would say no for an answer. It's like okay. These people don't think I know what I'm talking about, but someone else will. And if they don't, I'm going to prove it to them this way or that way. I'm going to go over here and go around them this way and do that. Like it was it, you know, stopping was really never uh, uh, an option. My next guest I'm going to present to you is a guy, Sam Gorris, who is the president of Paradigm Talent Agency, one of the top 10 talent agencies in the world in terms of representing on-camera talent, writers, directors. This guy was a force, and he was the first president of any agency to sit down with me, and the last until my next one, hopefully. And he and his company uh, represent some amazing artists, including Shailene Woodley from Divergent, Hayden Christensen from Star Wars, uh, Julie Bowen from Modern Family, Adrian Brody, Antonio Banderas, Thomas Jane, Mark Harmon, Fergie, Lawrence Fishburne, just to name a few. He's an incredible man. He came from Israel. His parents bought eight one-way plane tickets to the United States. And he came here with nothing, and he's built one of the most amazing careers and amazing talent agencies in the world. And I'm sure you're going to get a lot out of what he had to say. Sam Gorse. Well, it's going to sound simple, but, you know, hard work and honesty is, uh, is a pretty good formula. And, um, and, um, I think you have to recognize as a, as a young executives, executive that there are no shortcuts. 
you know, if you take any shortcuts, they'll backfire on you sooner or later. You have to do the work. You have to build the relationships. You have to be thorough in what you do. So really hard work and honesty and realizing that there are no shortcuts. Uh, you get there eventually. This is not a business that, uh, you know, you build relationships overnight. It takes time, as you well know. It takes a lot of time to to build relationships. And and then hopefully um, many, many years or decades later, you get to, you know, in, enjoy the, 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 the fruits of those relationships if you handle them correctly in earlier years. My next guest I'm going to present to you has a near and dear place in my heart because when I started my comedy club in New York called the Boston Comedy Club in Greenwich Village on West 3rd Street between Thompson and Sullivan, Neil Brennan was the doorman and his brother Kevin was one of the main comedians there. And... I'm very proud of my association with Neil Brennan in sort of a six degrees of separation way because a lot of the comedians that I represented worked at the Boston Comedy Club and he formed great relationships with them. And one of the people that he formed a tremendous relationship with through his introduction at the Boston Comedy Club was Dave Chappelle. And... If you don't know Neil, he is well, well known as a writer, director, and comedian, but best known as the co-creator of one of the most groundbreaking shows in the history of television with Dave Chappelle called Chappelle Show, for which he received three Emmy nominations. He also co-wrote the film with Dave Half-Baked, and directed the film The Good, starring Jeremy Piven, Ed Helms, Ken Jeong, and Will Ferrell. His podcast, The Champs, is always on the iTunes charts, way up high, and has been downloaded millions of times. Neil also has 250,000 or more followers on Twitter, and has been named by Time Magazine Rolling Stone as one of the funniest people on Twitter. You can catch his hour special if you want or many other things he does. He is really, really unique, really special, and a real, true, strong voice in the world of comedy. Neil Brennan. Uh, For the artist, I would say, like, pursuing it in a natural way and working hard and being a part of a community, I think that's helpful too. Because what I find is the jobs, most every job I've ever gotten has been from hanging out at comedy clubs to this day. Like, you know, I, I've been working with Chris Rock in the last year and Chris didn't know I was funny on, first of all, that you're not going to believe this until Facebook. My Twitter goes to my Facebook Chris, me and Chris are friends on Facebook. Chris is the most famous person who's on Facebook five times a day. He will argue. He argues with me. (laughs) I'll say, Hey, I'm going to be in my, I'm going to be in Columbus this weekend. Rock will write. Don't brag. (laughs) Like just constantly fucking heckling and sniping. So he didn't, I mean, he assumed I was funny, but you don't in comedy, you don't know. So, so, and then we started doing shows at the cellar and he was like, Oh, you are funny. So, 
uh, Schumer. I know from the cellar. Um, Mindy, new girl, that stuff. Gibbons. I know from, from Boston in the cellar, like all of it comes from this basic core community. You know, it's like I saw Romano five, three months ago. I hadn't seen him in 15 years. It, it's the same relationship because it, it becomes like a, you're just hanging out for years with people and you're in, and it's the, and you have so much in common. You're both like, you're all striving and all this stuff. So hang out with people, uh, be a part of a community, make stuff as much as possible, work hard, be nice to people. That was the thing I didn't do well. I was not nice to people. I was surly. I was, uh, moody. I was, um, weird. That's the thing that no one ever talks about. They, I'll, sometimes I'll tell people like so-and-so worked at SNL for a while and they're like, what happened? I go, it's fucking weird. <laughs> they were just weird. People don't want weird people around. People don't want weird energy around. Uh, and, and, uh, write your ideas down and try to think, try to, you know, it's, I, I have a, I made fun of, um, friends with Questlove, the drummer. And we were talking one time. Uh, about this speaks to the whole thing where I said, I, I said, what is your, what are you getting at? And he was like, I just want people to remember me. And I go, or people to talk about me when I'm gone. And I said, so you, you assume that even in death, you're going to be insecure. <laughs> <laughs> like you're like, you think you're still going to be in, in death. It's like, try. And what I realized, the more I thought about that is mm-hmm. you try to raise the bar so that people, when I think of like when I when I'm dead and if Chappelle show still is a thing to people, I don't want them to be like, man, those dead guys. I just want them to go, oh, that's how well you can do something. Like so, then they have to do something that well. That's the thing that you can hope for. It's like prior. Woody Allen always says like, I'd I'd throw away all these movies f- to live forever, um, and it's you you. It's you, you raise the bar for people. So I would say, try to raise the bar, try to do things in a unique, try to twist the formula, try to improve on the formula. Cause that's the, that's what is, that's, that moves shit that kind of moves things along. The next guest I want to share with you, it took me about nine months to get him. I would text him and call him and bother him everywhere he was. And finally I got him down here. I don't know how. I don't know why. I don't even know, understand why he would even do it. Like many of the guests that I have had on the show was his first podcast ever. And I'm talking about Dr. Phil McGraw. And Phil was just an unbelievable guest and had so many words of wisdom that literally the entire 90 minute podcast was filled with gems. Dr. Phil is most well known as probably the number one leading mental health professional on television in the world. And over the past 12 years, he's been the leading daytime talk show host in the country while covering the most comprehensive forum on mental health issues in the history of television. Over the years, the Dr. Phil show has received 26 Emmy nominations, in addition to creating nearly 2,000 hours of national television. He's the author of seven number one New York Times bestsellers, published in 39 languages, 
with over 33 million copies in print. Enjoy, Dr. Phil. I think you absolutely, unequivocally have to resolve to star in your own life. Think about it. It's really hard to take back stupid. And used to be you could get really stupid and five or six people would know about it. Now you get stupid. Uh, I can go out and do something stupid right now. People are going to be read about it in China before I get home. I mean, the world is changing. We have to teach our kids that if they go do stupid stuff on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, and then they go apply for a college admission or a job, come on, those employers, those interviewers are going to Google you. And if you're laying there with slut written across your forehead and two empty bottles of Jack Daniels on your chest, um, that looks different than who you're sitting in front of the interviewer. They're going to hold that against you. We, we have to teach our kids that the world is changing. Information exchanges is, is happening much faster. So we've got to really be cognizant of the world we live in. It's different. Um, it's really different. And, I, you know, right now, when I grew up, we lived in neighborhoods, right? You could go down and play under the streetlight at the corner till midnight. There was no problem. But now we're a much more transient society. You're, you have people in your lives that you don't know as much about. So you can't give people the benefit of the doubt the way you used to. I mean, the, the world is changing. I'm not a pessimist about it. I'm just saying prepare for it. As long as you know what's going on, you're okay. I'm one of those people that believes if something's not working, change what you're doing until it starts working. And so I'm not one to ride things to the bottom of the canyon. I think when you choose the behavior, you choose the consequences. You've got to get in the game at whatever level. I don't care if you're a runner at a studio or for a show or you're an AP or a PA or whatever. Get in the game. I mean, when it comes to this industry, there's New York, L.A., and everywhere else. And if you're if you're going to make it in this arena, you got to get in the arena. You've got to get in the game. And I, I believe that value added is rewarded. And if you get somewhere and start adding value, it's going to be rewarded. Um, but you got to get in the game. You got to get where it's happening at some level. This is like you're saving yourself for management or a leading role. Bullshit. Get in the game somehow, somewhere. Get your cards on the table and start playing. Ricky Blit is a guy I did not know before I met him here. And I really enjoyed him. And his story is incredible uh, coming from Canada to this country and ending up being one of the most respected executive producer, writer, showrunners in the television business. He's probably best known as one of the original writers on Family Guy, and he wrote its only episode that was banned from airing on the network entitled When You Wish Upon a Weinstein. He also wrote the controversial and powerfully funny film with Johnny Knoxville called The Ringer. You're going to love this guy, Ricky Blit. If you truly have something and you're persistent, you are going to succeed. 
it's just going to happen whether it takes it, whether it's, that's why even, even if you put yourself in, in some kind of situation at the beginning before you're ready, like somebody might not have, I didn't have the answers when I started. I was put in the right place at the wrong time. I didn't know what I was doing. I, you know, but, but if you have that kind of thing where you keep on trying and doing stuff, you, you'll learn. So I think, I think that's the biggest thing is, is, is realizing how wrong I had it when I thought all this pressure had to be in one piece of material I was going to send off. No, it's just one thing leads to something else leads to something else. And even if you start a job and you don't know what you're doing yet, you might be learning from people who in three years from now, you'll be going, okay, now I know more because I put myself in the right environment to succeed. My next guest was a, a very, very unique character of the game, Henry Bushkin, who was Johnny Carson's lawyer and quasi manager for almost two decades. He was only a few years into his legal career when Johnny Carson, at the top of his game, hired him as his personal lawyer and manager for that golden period of time that became the most unbelievable time in show business. His book, Johnny Carson was a number one New York Times bestseller and one of the 10 best books of the year in 2013. Known as Bombastic Bushkin, he was the Tonight Show host's best friend and played a major role in his life that was very involved and complex. And he was equal parts sounding board, drinking buddy, tennis partner, travel companion, business manager, and all-around trusted confidant. And in my mind, to the most inspirational and greatest talk show host of all time, Johnny Carson. So please welcome Henry Bushkin. Before Carson got to Tonight Show, he had been working in television and radio and doing stand-up for a long time. You know, so he wasn't a novice. So what I did in my career as a young lawyer, I don't know that it's possible to do that again. I don't know that a superstar would go to a three-year lawyer and say, take over my life. Now, it's possible. And and to those who it may happen to, I say, you got to go for it. You know, you just have to go for it. You know, step up. Now, I didn't think of myself as stepping up. I thought of my, my time with him at those early days as I got to do as good a job as I could do just to have another day. You know, I had no self-confidence whatsoever in the beginning. I just did what I thought I had to do to show him I at least could do something right. To the young performer, I would say just you got to do what you got to do. You got to work your ass off, you know, in clubs and bits. And Carson started doing magic shows. You know, he started doing magic bits and he got very good at it. And, and, you know, the pattern that you have to have with magic, you've got to divert the audience. So he became very good at that, and that became a foundation for radio and for television. I don't know that you could do that today, but if you could, I would do it. I would start as young as you could. My next guest, Mario Casar, is an incredible guy in the sense that, I mean, he has done so many things in his career as a producer. It's just mind-boggling. And Mario is a guy who's released 36 motion pictures, which have been nominated for 16 Academy Awards. 
and he is largely considered to be the godfather of international film distribution and marketing. He is renowned for his talent for green lighting projects that go on to become huge, huge, huge hits like all the Rambo films, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, Basic Instinct, Total Recall, Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines, Cliffhanger, Chaplin, Field of Dreams, and Stargate, among others. In total, his films as a producer and executive producer, get this, have grossed more than $3 billion in worldwide theatrical box office. You'll really, really like what Mario Kassar has to say. I also co-financed the movie because Universal was scared to fully finance the movie. It was called Field of Dreams. It says, if you build it, they will come. So if you believe in something, just keep on at it. Do not give up. That really, I really believe in that. It doesn't matter if years passes. If, I, I mean, it was, you know how many years before I got first blood? It was for 10 years. They wrote 10, 10 13 different screenplays. So if you believe in it, go for it. Keep on, uh, keep on uh, knocking on walls. Don't be afraid of rejection. Rejection is only a word no. And oh means nothing to me. And no doesn't mean anything to me. You know, keep on, there's always a way. If you want it, there's a way. You got to find the way. Don't give up. The next guest I'm going to share with you is the first athlete and the only athlete I ever had on the show. But as I sit here and do these podcasts, behind me is something that was given to me by Mary Beck and Jacqueline at Major League Baseball which is the on-deck circle for the Boston Red Sox in the 2007 World Series with all the cleat marks on it and it's framed behind my couch. And it was really important for me to interview this man because he was a member of that team and it was his last year in Major League Baseball and he won a championship and Big Poppy dedicated that championship to him and that's Royce Clayton and if you don't know Royce Clayton he's a veteran of 17 major league baseball seasons a former first round draft pick he's been both a major league all-star a world series champion and is widely considered one of the best shortstops in history and he really really had a lot of incredible insights into how to get to the next level because as a young kid, he said to himself, I'm going to be one of the best shortstops in Major League Baseball and I'm going to replace Ozzie Smith in St. Louis. And that he did. Please welcome Royce Clayton. Well, imitate greatness. I mean, that was a big... I guess uh, more I talk about the big moral of the stories that we talked about today was about me imitating everything Ozzy did on and off the field professionally. I became that player, replaced that player to me went on. And in the business world, I tried to imitate greatness. Uh, 
Magic Johnson's been a great role model for me off off the field, off the court to see how you can build business and create opportunity in the community. Uh, and Ken Lombard, who was instrumental in, in doing a lot of these things, has taken me under his wing. I've you know, been persistent in following up with those types of people because I want to be successful and want to imitate the true recipe for that success. I mean, people like yourself, I'm sure there's a number of people that you can point to that were pioneers in your, in your field and you imitate that and you're where you're at today because of that. Uh, and I take my tip, my hat to you for what you've been able to do in your particular field of, uh, you know, in comedy world and representing great comics around the world, having this show, all the great things you've done. So, I just try to surround myself with positive people, imitate greatness, and just want a little bit of that to rub off on me. My next guest, I've known for a long time, and I really had uh, great experiences with him, meeting with him and doing shows with him. One of my biggest memories was going into a meeting with uh, Peter Engel, who's a past podcast guest and creator of Saved by the Bell with a show called The Next Best Thing, which was sort of last comic standing for celebrity impersonators. And we walked down the parking lot and the call came into the cell phone and it was him saying, don't take that show anywhere else. I want it. And I'll just put it on the air right away. No pilot, no nothing this summer. And that was a special moment a guy who took chances, took risks, and did things a little bit differently. But if you don't know Steve McPherson, he's the former president and chairman of the ABC TV Entertainment Group, overseeing both the studio and network operations. And under his unique visionary leadership, he is credited with orchestrating one of the most dramatic network turnarounds in history, transforming ABC's fortunes with iconic shows like Lost, Desperate Housewives, Grey's Anatomy, Dancing with the Stars, and the Mother Lode, Modern Family. Whenever you have a network president that gives you advice, you listen. Steve McPherson. I would get lots and lots of friends and uh, family who would send me, you know, some young actor or actress who was wanting to break into the business. And honestly, the first thing that I would always say to them was, is there anything else in the world that you want to do? <laughs> um, because it is so hard. And I think that it has to be your only choice, you know, working with Johnny Galecki this year, you know, he said to me at one point, he goes like, this is it. Like, I don't do anything else. I'm not going to do anything else. And I think, you know, that is just about following your passion. Um, I think if, you know, if you're getting into the business because you think of the glitz and the glamour and the money, it, then you're going to fail miserably because it's so not about that 99.9% .9 of the time. Um, so my advice would really be, you know, do your homework. I think study your craft more. I think, you know, uh, in, in cities other than Los Angeles, there's a lot more theater going on. There's a lot more real study of the, of the acting craft, you know, People don't go on tour the same way they used to on the stand-up circuit. You know, somebody gets a little bit of stand-up success and off to a deal um, and they don't develop their point of view. So I think once you get past, if, if, if you do the passion check and you're in, 
then I would say really study your craft, live your life a little bit, get more seasoning and then get in there. In terms of executives, uh, not dissimilar. I mean, I think that um, you really have to pursue your passions. You know, my dad gave me the best piece of advice when I took the network job. Uh, he's an educator his whole life and um, he's always encouraged his kids to do whatever they wanted. And we're, I have two sisters, we're completely different. But what he did is, you know, he said, listen, make sure that whatever you do, that it's your choices and that you're making the decisions because you will feel good about those no matter what happens. You'll feel terrible if you're making decisions to climb the ladder, to make your bosses happy, to make, you know, the industry happy. Um, and that was a great piece of advice. And I think, you know, when I was working for Tony Thomas, um, you know, the one thing that I knew is that even though I was a slave and I was, you know, getting dry cleaning or whatever, I did that job as well as I possibly could. I would drive him around town and I would go to his assistant the night before and say, where are we driving tomorrow? And I would drive it the night before. Um, and I think a lot of people, you know, when they're moving up the ladder, they get a job as an assistant and they go, this sucks. And it's like, yeah, it does suck. But trust me, your boss is never going to help you if you're doing a shitty job at that job, just because you think you should be doing something bigger. Um, and people will notice you if you're doing an amazing job and they'll go, why is this guy an assistant? He's doing an amazing job. He could do 10 times this. So, you know, I guess those are two disparate pieces of advice, but that would probably be the best I could give. Mark Cronin, my next guest that I'm going to share with you is one of the most respected reality producers in the world. He started his career working with, someone who I consider to be a genius, Howard Stern. And he worked with him on his radio and television and pay-per-view specials. And he later became a head writer and executive producer for MTV's hit dating show, Singled Out, starring Jenny McCarthy and Chris Hardwick. Mm -hmm. And from MTV, he moved on to Fox to produce their first primetime event game show, Big Deal, and then returned late night as a producer on the Keenan Ivory Wayans show. But you probably know him best as being one of the founders and presidents of 51 Minds, where he produced many, many incredible shows that were very unique in the reality world, including The X Show, Beat the Geeks, Cram, Extreme Dodgeball, Rock of Love, I Love New York, Real Chance of Love, Daisy of Love, and of course, Flavor of Love, or should I say, Flavor of Love. Enjoy the comments of Mark Cronin. In the early stages where you're still not known or broken through, you have to be willing to do almost anything to keep the ball moving that don't be too proud to take a low level entry level job. Don't be too proud to work on a show that you, you know, isn't a big network hit. It's a small thing on, you know, Nat Geo or something and you're just a PA or whatever. Don't be too proud. Take a gig, get inside, get noticed. Uh, also, you never know where the breakthrough is going to come. Like you may do better trying to get into a film company, or you may do better trying to be a stand-up or a copywriter for an advertising agency. Try everything you can that's in some kind of space where you want to be, because you never know where it's going to break through. Once you break through, then focus your efforts uh, unfailingly on your goal. So uh, you have to kind of be open-minded about where you break through. And once you do, 
charge down that path as hard as you can. The next person that I have on the docket for you is probably one of the most revered casting directors that I ever had a chance to work with. Uh, Donna Rosenstein, she started her entertainment career recasting a role on Three's Company and never looked back. And then she went on to work at ABC during its heyday from 1983 to 1999, eventually becoming the head of casting for her final 13 years there. The list of hit shows that she's been involved with and helped cast is like a who's who and featured some of the most successful shows and talent in history, including Roseanne, Home Improvement, and NYPD Blue. I know you're really going to enjoy what she has to say. Donna Rosenstein. In any profession, I believe in being the best person you can be and being the best at anything that you can be and being prepared and to work in television for the most part, it's hard if you're not in New York or LA. It's just where the work is. There is a lot of work in Vancouver. There's a lot of work in New Orleans. There's a lot of work in, in, in different places. I think the actors, I think being off book is an underemphasized yeah, we say, oh, don't worry. Look at the page. Look at the page. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. But I think if you have, if you've got the words, it, you're halfway there because you have the confidence to really perform. And I think what they don't teach in a lot of drama schools and something I've thought about teaching but I'm not sure if I want to, is the art of the procedural. Working on a procedural, which many television shows are. And when you come in for any kind of supporting role, it's not about you. It's about moving the story along. It's about doing your job as part of a bigger whole and doing your job quickly and professionally. And, you know, the internet gives you the ability to understand what technical jargon might be, pronunciation of words. Um, you know, people come in and pronounce words incorrectly. Yeah, people make mistakes. But for the most part, that's really easy to do before you come in. So being prepared is the most thing, the most important thing I can tell you. And, you know, act anywhere you can, any kind of community theater, any kind of open call that you can go to, any kind of local casting. I think staying busy in your craft is what keeps you fresh and keeps you ready for the moment that might be your big break. In terms of the casting profession, um, I think actually, I believe Mark Hirschfeld, who um, was on one of your podcasts, I believe he's Casting involved. director of Seinfeld yeah. and many, many, many others. I believe he's involved. Is it Syracuse University that now has a casting program? 
I think so. Yes. Um, I think it's a profession. There's go see the documentary called casting by. Um, it talks about the beginnings of an kind of an uns- unsung profession that is now becoming much more known and much more visible and much more important. Most casting directors are in New York, LA, Toronto, Vancouver. There are some fine casting directors in the South. Um, There are some in Chicago um, working in a casting office, getting an internship, watching a lot of television and films, knowing as many actors as you can. And the more familiar you are with what you're auditioning for and what you're could be casting for, it's just everything. If I have somebody that works in my office that is really in the know about what's current, what's happening, it's a huge huge benefit and really puts them a cut above. When I interview for an assistant, you know, one of the questions I'll ask is what TV do you watch? What films do you watch? And it's just important to have that shorthand. What comedy clubs do you go to? And it's the same for actors and for casting directors being prepared. Up next, David Salzman, a man I've known for a long time, uh, who is an entertainment icon who co-founded Telepictures and was the CEO of Group W Productions, winning over a hundred awards, including multiple Emmys. He was also the chief for all TV activities at Lorimar, and over his illustrious career, he created, developed, and or supervised more than 200 network and syndicated TV series, specials, movies, and miniseries, including Dallas, Knott's Landing, Falcon Crest, Full House, ALF, The People's Court, Love Connection, and the Jenny Jones talk show, which he created, which ran for 12 years. You probably best know him as a guy who was the executive producer of... Mad TV, which aired for 14 years on Fox, as well as the rerun show In the House and The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Enjoy the words of wisdom of David Salzman. I was a Boy Scout. Be prepared. I would say um, dream big and always believe in yourself. Uh, Never give up. And, uh, you know, listen to your heart more than you listen to what so-called experts tell you, especially the the haters and the naysayers, because they're always going to outnumber you. That's sort of my advice. And if actually, if you live by those simple precepts, uh, you'll have the perseverance, the self-belief, the tenacity, the sense of purpose. And a vision of where, because you, if you don't know where you where, where you want to end up, you you know you're not going to get there. So you have to sort of have a vision of this is where I want to get. 
to have a plan of how I might get there and realize that, you know, 90% of the the plays in life are going to be called from the line of scrimmage. So even though you have a plan, don't think you're going to be sticking with the plan. You know, be flexible, just be tough. Tenacity wins in the end. My next guest was an amazing, amazing guest in the sense that he was a guy that you're sitting down with who had almost 25 years experience working at Fox in every capacity. So you're talking about somebody who, I mean, literally helped build the network from the ground up and was there in the beginning all through his biggest, biggest moments. And we're talking to a guy who who helped expand the network from four nights to seven nights. A guy who was instrumental in the development and production and and the lineage of such shows as, you know, Party of Five, Melrose Place, The X-Files, Beverly Hills 90210, Cops, The Simpsons, Malcolm in the Middle, The O.C., House, 24, and American Idol. Incredible. Enjoy the words of Sandy Grushow. When I say this to others, in some ways, I'm I'm saying it to myself to you know for 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 the reinforcement, you know that that I as a 54 year old you know needs, and I think we all need in our lives, um, regardless of what age we're at and 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 where we might be on the the career curve, and that is have courage. You know the things that never change are the need to take risks, right? Always being rewarded for um, exercising your passion, believing in yourself when maybe others don't believe in you. Um, and then the things, then there are, there's the category of things that, that do and have changed, which is the world of media, and and the way in which digital distribution, you know, in, really has in, you know, not fully, but certainly to some degree, democratized creativity because these guys, you know, never would have been discovered by Barry Katz, you know, in in Australia. Uh, but but the ability to go online and and see their work, you know, really shows the way in which the media business has evolved and the ways in which, um, y- you know, content is is, you know, now being developed. Um, obviously, it's still being developed largely through traditional means, but but there's lots of different points of entry now for ideas. Um, and, and as I say, you know, to put too fine a point on it, but, um, take a chance, take it, take a chance on life, take a chance on your dream. Um, and, um, more often than not, uh, good things will happen. My next guest that I'm going to present to you is probably best known as one of the executive producers of everybody loves Raymond. Mike Roy started as a stand-up comedian in New York City and continued that path for 12 years where he became a fixture in the New York comedy scene. But he realized that writing was a passion that he had to follow. 
And he worked on many, many shows like Dana Carvey and Maury Povich. But he got his big break working on Spin City, which got him involved in that world where he worked harder and harder and harder. Uh, he also partnered with Louis C.K., serving as the executive producer and showrunner of HBO's first ever sitcom, Lucky Louie. And also co-created TNT's Men of a Certain Age with Ray Romano, serving again as executive producer. He is a guy who has taken it from stand-up comedy through the writing ranks, working his way up to the highest levels in the business. Please enjoy Mike Royce. My biggest advice to anyone who is a writer who wants to become a showrunner is if you have the opportunity to run a show, take it. Because they don't. What happens is not, he ran that piece of shit. That's not what they say. They say, he ran that piece of shit. He's a showrunner now. That you get the credit and then you continue to do that. I, I can only speak for myself. So if there's anybody who's like me out there, I, I think that, like I said about being fearful, I'm not your go-to oh my God, this guy's like a force of nature. He gets in the room and it's crazy. He can win over anybody. I'm not that guy. <laughs> I am an incremental, hardworking, hopefully have some talent. Um, but I have discovered even, you know, both with stand-up and with writing that it's, it's much more for me about like a sculpture. It's like you start with a block of nothing. If you're writing a script you can work for a day or two on it and you're only going to chip off. You're still going to have a blob and you can get very discouraged. Like it's not great yet. It's not anything. It's never going to be anything. Fuck me. Oh my God. Who am I? I'm going to go drink. That's, you know, I, my mentality can be to be in my head defeatist. And I think what I've hopefully overcome, you know, uh, and the thing that I always have to train myself to overcome is that every piece of it is a piece of the puzzle, you know, or a part of the sculpture. It takes so many moves, you know, for TV shows, there's so many meetings and casting and, and everything is one piece and, and the show can live or die sometimes on that particular piece. You have to approach every day. Like I'm taking care of a piece of it today. It's not all of it. It's not the whole thing does not depend on this, you know, that you, that it's, it's, you have to take care of every little piece is what I'm trying to say. And not every piece all at once, you know, that's especially true with scripts because you spend so much time in the wilderness with a script trying to come up with even what the hell it is that you can, it can make you discouraged. So you don't ever attempt it. And, uh, you just have to keep, okay, today I, you know, I managed to get three good lines in that character's mouth lines that you may take out two weeks later. Uh, you know, a month from now, I figured out that the setting is this, you know, some days you're like, I got eight hours and I wrote, you know, 10 pages every day is totally different. And, um, it's all progress. That's really, I guess what I have to, had to tell myself over and over and the next person I want to present to you is the president of scripted television at Slingshot Global Media, talking about Quan Fung, who I work with 
as an executive producer on Whitney on NBC. And I've also worked with him on many different occasions when he was a network executive at that level and also a studio executive on the other side. He is a really, really, really incredibly smart person. He has great, great insight. And um, he's one of the most respected guys out there. And he helped develop some of the most really special shows uh, that I've seen in a long, long time, including um, House, How I Met Your Mother, and probably a show that everyone who's ever watched it feels as strongly about as I do, Arrested Development. Please welcome Quan Fung. I think you, you can only be great at something that you're, that you love and you're passionate. I've been really lucky to, to be able to have the, the freedom to listen to my voice and, and pursue the things I love. And whether you are, you know, a, a struggling artist or, you know, someone who wants to become an executive, um, find the thing that you love and keep working at it and keep driving at it. And, you know, at some point you always are going to have to evaluate if this is really the thing that you love, you know, enough doors sometimes closed. You, you have to wonder like, is this the right thing for me? I mean, when law school was not the thing that was open to me, I had to reevaluate and say, well, what's another thing I loved? It turned out to be storytelling. And so, you know, I don't want to say, um, you can make it if you work hard. I think that's just you know, naive. I think you have to have some, um, skill at it and, 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 and knowledge of it and history of it and to know where it comes from. But I think if you, you will have that knowledge, if you truly indeed love it, um, because you'll work harder at it, you'll spend nights thinking about it. You'll wake up. I mean, I've had many times where I have uh, woken up in the middle of the night. My wife will laugh at me where I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'll go, Oh, I think I have the perfect cat, perfect casting idea for this part. She's like, what are you talking about? So like, I, I, mean, I don't know. In my dream, I thought about this and it came up and I'm like, let's go after this person. And I, I don't know if that's normal, but I think it's indicative of someone who is, you know, thinking about the art and the craft and the work that we do. And it has impacted me in a way where I dream about it and I come up the next day. I'm like, well, let's try to pursue this idea or let's take this chance and let's you know, chase down this uh, storyteller to see if there's a story here. That's the advice I would give is just, you know, love what you do and then you'll be good at it. When my next guest walked in the door, he was very presidential and it was the first podcast he ever did. He was just in another league. One of the most uh, powerful guests I've ever had and somebody who I will always remember as long as I live. Some of the things that he told me on that podcast Really, really inspirational, motivating, gut-wrenching, but also winning and satisfying. Jonathan Murray is the CEO and owner and chairman of Bunim Murray Productions, and he's an Emmy Award-winning executive producer widely credited with inventing the modern reality television genre with the launch of The Real World on MTV almost three decades ago. Together with his partner, the late Mary Ellis Bunham, who passed away in 2004, Murray grew the company from a two-person shop into an industry powerhouse, launching some of the most innovative unscripted entertainment 
that you could ever see on television. Uh, if you're not sure of the array of shows that this company uh, produces, they produced the first documentary reality series, The Real World, the first reality game show, Road Rules, the first reality sitcom, The Simple Life, and the first reality soap opera, Starting Over. A few of their other <laughs> television juggernauts that moved the needle were Project Runway, Making the Band, Love Cruise, and Bad Girls Club, as well as the award-winning feature films Pedro for MTV and Valentine Road and Autism the Musical for HBO. Enjoy the words of John Murray. You know, I think it's really being focused on the moment and being focused on where you are at that point and doing your best. So whether you're in a, a little station in Green Bay, Wisconsin, you're doing your absolute best work and you're learning from the people around you. You know, when I first went to work at this station in Green Bay, Wisconsin, WLUK, you know, I was working with anchor people who were twice my age. I was working with reporters who were older. I was the youngest guy, yet I was producing the news. And I was learning from those people. And I was learning every day. And I was making mistakes. But every time I made a mistake, I made sure I learned from it. And, you know, I think I couldn't have taken each step that I took without the groundwork and the learning that went in that led me to that next step. So, you know, you're not just going to go from having a great idea at the coffee shop to running a company. You know, if you're interested in reality television, then you need to go to work for the reality production company that you you like their work. Uh, you know, when I interview young people who come to work for Buna Murray, I'm always like interested in what they watch on television and what drew them to Buna Murray. I want them to be our future executives. So I want them to come in, you know, and be ready to work at every job in the company and work their way up. Um, it doesn't happen overnight. And I wasn't even thinking about it happening overnight. I was so in the moment and so focused on the current job that I had it was just sort of like out of nowhere would come these offers and these opportunities because I really believe this industry is very democratic. If you work hard, it will be recognized and people will want to hire you. And even today, I, I'm not the best at everything. And I go out and try and find the people who are good at what they do. Um, and, and, you know, I think there aren't enough people who are really good at what they do. So when you work hard and you're good at something, you're going to, you're going to get work and you're going to quickly rise. You know, we have, we, we have people at Buna Murray who, who, you know, within five years of coming to the company are running a television show and they've worked their way up from logging to coordinating, to casting, to uh, field work, field directing, then producing and finally show running. And they t all take different paths, but they usually work their way through the different aspects of, of making a television show. Closing out part one of the best of 2014, is a guy who I have a long, long history with from the first time he ever went on stage until this podcast. Sometimes you forget the impact that you have on somebody's life, and maybe you block it out. But Mark Marin helped bring it all back to life for me. 
and told me things that I guess I was I was not conscious of or not even remembering. He told me that I'd given him his first stage time in Boston. He told me I gave him his first paid gig. He told me that I gave him his first amount of gigs to make him money so he could quit his day job and never go back. He told me I helped him book his first television appearances as a stand-up. And most importantly, he told me that when I decided to manage people, I called 10 people in my office to manage them. And nine of those people said yes. And one of them said no. Guess who that was? Mark Marin. Yep, for over 15 years, Mark Marin has been writing and performing raw, honest, and thought-provoking comedy for print, stage, radio, and television, and is a legend in the stand-up community. He's appeared on HBO, Conan Letterman, and his two Comedy Central Presents specials. But most importantly, you know Mark as the host of the What the Fuck podcast which skyrocketed to number one on iTunes comedy charts and was ranked number three as the best podcast of 2009 by iTunes Rewind. Please welcome Mark Marin. All I wanted to be was a comic. Like I, you know, I turned down the opportunity to be in Dave Cross's sketch group, which went on to become Mr. Show. Cross comedy. Yeah. You know, I did the first two in Catch a Rising Star in Boston. I Like all I wanted to be was a comic. All I wanted to do was get on stage and be a great comedian. And I didn't know how great comedians made it. I didn't know anything about selling tickets. I didn't know anything about schmoozing or anything. It was very pure for me. I just, I just wanted to be a comic. So like now I realize like a lot of the guys I started with who, you know, who were less delusional than me, you know, to be a comic and to, and to be, you know, one of the 10 comics that, you know, that sells tickets in the country at any given point in, in the history of things, or if you're lucky enough to sell tickets, it's, it's, you know, a lot of times it doesn't last that long or whatever, but a lot of the guys that knew they were funny and talented as joke writers and as comedians were like, well, I can be a writer or I can, you know, go into show running or I can, you know, there are other paths like that I never thought of. So like if a comic asked me, I said, well, if you have a talent, if you are a talented person, the biggest challenge is, you know, what do you do with that talent? How do you not let it destroy you? Cause talent can be like cancer. Like, you, you know, if you're talented, you know, a lot of times if you don't harness it, it'll destroy you from the inside because it'll, it'll create entitlement. It'll create, you know, a, a lot of the things that you, you don't, you, you don't realize it's doing a lot of talented people have just, you know, either fallen into the mice into themselves or destroyed themselves. But Ultimately, what happened for me was that, you know, I was never very calculating uh, in terms of what I wanted from show business. And ultimately, we are in show business. And, and I wish I had more, you know, something better to tell you other than by the time I made it in show business, I had really given up on a lot of my dreams. And I, you know, I took a shot at a new medium only to keep doing something. And, and you know, my timing was just right. But the fortunate thing about the timing was, you know, once I got the opportunity, like I had let go of that shit. I was like, I'm not, it's not going to happen for me. But the weird thing was, is that when it did happen, I, I was definitely ready for everything to happen to me that has happened. And, you know, however you need to be ready for that, you know, in your heart and mind, you know, 
that's going to be when it happens. Because if you're not ready, something's going to go wrong. I mean, I, I've seen a lot of guys and you know this and I've talked to them. I've seen guys get opportunities and they don't go anywhere. Like, you know, and it takes an amazing persevering person to, to do what Bill Burr did or what Kevin Hart did to, to sort of be the guy and then have it go away and then go back to the drawing board and get back up on stage and, you know, and rebuild and believe in yourself. So whatever it takes for you to believe in yourself in a general way, not a bullshit way, you know, do that. Well, that about does it for this first part of two parts of the best of 2014 I really hope you enjoyed this as much as I did hearing these words of wisdom and golden nuggets from 25 of the most diverse and unique people in the entertainment business that you normally would never hear from. Take what you can, all of what you want, and discard anything that you don't want. But I can guarantee you that most everything you heard today when you listen to this podcast will help you in your personal and professional life as much as it's helped me. And before I sign off today, I want to thank a few people that have been instrumental this year for me. First and foremost, I'd like to thank my man, Michael Purcell and everybody at global cash card who has been so, so amazing and extraordinary to me and to this podcast and has allowed me to do what I do and bring this show to all of you. Michael Purcell, I thank you. You are first class. I'd like to thank all of the assistants and interns that have helped me with this podcast. You know who you are and I am very grateful to all of you. I'd like to thank Sarah Elizabeth Kazmarek, who has gone on to greener pastures, but she really was instrumental in helping me launch this podcast and get it going and worked a lot with me this year. I'd like to thank my producers, Max Mullion, who really, really has gone out of his way to help me uh, record these podcasts as well as Ari Manis, who's a very talented stand-up comedian and great producer as well. I'd like to thank Jake Adams, who spent a lot of time helping me with the podcast and introducing me to Ari Manis. I'd also like to thank Matthew Cox, who started it all off for me and helped me get going. I'd also like to thank Alec Thomas, who produced the opening that I love so much that's probably driving people crazy by this point, but uh, I really appreciate all his help in putting that together. And probably most importantly, I'd like to uh, thank Jay Moore for giving me the, I guess, confidence to say, you know, Barry, I want you to do something that makes you happy and fulfills you and also does something that can help more people than just what you do for me and other people like me. And to have an artist step up and give an endorsement to 
their manager to go ahead and do something like this in their spare time. That truly meant the world to me. And he threw me the first vine. He put me up on his podcast network first. And then true to form set me free and allowed me to do whatever I could do to make this as special as it could be. So thank you, Jay Moore. And I'd like to thank Kyle Turley, who is a tremendous individual and former football player and Sports Illustrated cover athlete and also an incredible musician who sings the two songs on my podcast, the one in the beginning and the one at the end. And if you haven't checked Kyle Turley out, uh, go to his website and buy his music because he's incredible and he's really helped me out in putting that music in, which means so much to me. And finally, I'd like to thank all of my guests this year on Industry Standard. Each and every one of you was so, so special to me, and I'm so, so grateful that you all took the time to dedicate here the hours and hours of time to bring your journey and your story to the Industry Standard audience. Thank you. So this wraps up another episode of Industry Standard. Have a great new year. Have a great holiday. And we'll see you next year. This is Barry Katz with another episode of Industry Standard. And as always, if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. They say it's the glory I'll scream your name Put you on shoulders Walk you to fame You'll get all the money Drive that fancy car All the people love you Cause you're going for Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley A fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes, which will be available for download every Monday, or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.